Welcome to our podcast, Land and People, where we interview people with ancestral ties to the land and people who are working on the land here in the Pacific. I am Melissa Kamara. I'm a Hawaii conservationist and an artist on Big Island. Yeah, I'm Clay Traurnick. So I, I work at University of Hawaii at Manoa. I'm in the Natural Resources and Environmental Management uh, Department. I do extension, so I'm faculty, but I most of the teaching and stuff I do is working with folks that for their jobs and their work is working in conservation, watershed management, and land management. The views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our funders or employers nor the, those of our guests. And um, we're super, super excited to bring to you this particular episode, number 15. <laughs> um, and it's really cool because here's the thing, Clay flew over to the Big Island just recently, and we met up with an amazing family, the Mokchu family of YPO Valley here on Hawaii Island. We got to speak with Jason, who is the dad, Jason Mokchu, his wife, Alberta, and Kahialani, their daughter, who have previously been growing kalo or taro in YPO for many generations. And now they are producing poi. And I realized like while we were interviewing, at one point I was like, oh, we should just say like where the heck we are. But we just sat in their garage in Honoka and talked story. And I mean, probably the best part about it was the next day they invited us down to the farms. We actually got to go down and hang out. And, you know, Jason was pretty emphatic that we, we get down there, we have to see it. Yeah. And to paint the picture of YPO Valley, um, for those of you who've never been there, and even if you have um, and you don't know very much history about it, YPO is super, super special place in all of Hawaii because it is the Valley of the Kings. There's like three, at least three <laughs> different kings, including Kamehameha, and then the house of uh, Liloa and Umi. All of these kings, like dating back to like the 1400s, have had their royal residences, mausoleums, I mean like numerous heiau, I mean Ross Cordy, the state archaeologist, for two decades, talked about one of the Heiau, which I was telling you about, Clay, when we were there, that was considered one of the most sacred sites in all of the island. So um, it's really super special place, but it's also a very diverse place too, because, you know, since, of course, contact, there were many different immigrant groups that came through YPO. I mean, and in the early days, you know, as many as like 2,500 people pre-contact, and then who knows how many more since those times. But people, you know, growing rice, growing all different kinds of crops in YPO. So the valley has been extensively used, you know, by people. And it's not been one of these places that has been abandoned, so to speak. Although there are fewer are there are fewer people that are there nowadays. It had a functioning elementary school, you know, and yeah. it's all these things. And now, you know, there are homes, there are farmers that live in their, their homes down there, but it's definitely changed quite a bit. Yeah, it has. And it's one of these, we're not going to get too much into it because it really is about Kahlo farming, you know, the lifestyle, but it is one of these flashpoints for, for people who both folks who are recreational users and permanent residents um, and part-time residents down there. Let's just say that people all over the place love YPO and yeah. it, um, it's spectacular. I mean, just to describe it, it is this giant U-shaped valley. I believe it's like a thousand foot waterfall, Hi'ilave in the back, which, you know, it's like written about in song and 
dance and all of that. But we, again, we got to go to Jason's farm and actually see, you know, these watersheds and the drainages, his neighbors, Lo'i. And just to be really clear with our listeners out there, um, you know, the back part of the valley is entirely private. It is not open to the public. You can't just go wander back there and go hiking. It's really important to know you need to have an invitation. The only public uh, access is on the road and uh, to the ocean uh, via the beach. The kind of juxtaposition there, I think, well, with the way a lot of folks experience YPO is from the lookout, you know, so you're standing above where the valley just drops sheer vertical walls to this black sand beach. Um, and then again, as Melissa said, a lot of people go down to fish and surf at the beach. And then, but all the residents and the farmers are kind of the other direction into the back. And so, yeah. so just to understand this place as an active landscape where people have been living and farming for generations upon generations. What we talked to the Mach Chus about was really just what this place has brought them uh, as a family and what it means to them as a family, which it just was unreal to sort of have, have that story. Like, I don't really know how else to, to put it, but. Um. Well, I think you'll hear, um, you'll hear the emotion, I think, in all of our voices when we're talking to this multi-generational family with deep roots in a place, you know, it's just hard to convey um, how hard farming is in Hawaii, how many things people are facing, you know, both economically and just on, you know, on a practical level. And then, you know, to keep that going and the, and the effect of, you know, as Kahea said, what Kahlo has taught her as a person or you know what 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 that brings into their lives as family i mean it's all intertwined and it's all deeply moving at least from my perspective so i i would just add that the one theme that sort of keeps emerging and i think ties this beyond like the fundamentals like our relationship to the land and to all the other living things right the whole web of life but one thing that really jumps out in this interview, I think, is just the value of the work and patience. And there's no quick fixes, right? Like there's no like quick way to do this stuff. And I think that to me was the kind of straight line between doing like work up on the mountain, like trying to like grow forests, for example. It's the same thing with with Kyla. Like there's no like technology that's going to give us quick answers and and quick outcomes. Like it's, that's not what any of this is about. It's really about having patience and putting in the time and putting in the love. Uh, It was really beautiful. It truly was. So here we have for you our next guests, Kahealani, Jason, and Alberta Machu of YPO Valley. What kind of experiences did you have growing up here and that, you know, was there anything that sort of pointed you to any any clue that like where you'd be at now as far as you know working working on the land was it part of part of what you did growing up for me it would be like um, working in YPU playing in YPU and I I was born and raised right above of YPU but my family lived and farmed in YPU my dad and his brothers and sisters when I was about eight, nine years old, then my uncles turned over the leases to my dad, and we all used to go down as a family. You know, back then, we did a lot, and a lot of the work was manual work. We never had, like, vehicles and stuff, so our transportation was 
horseback and mules for packing out the crop. Everybody around you was doing the same thing, farming and uh, doing terror. But when I started going down with my dad, he did like poi and farming and, you know, the stories that we hear from them and stuff, how this, you know, process. And already that part was already pretty much shut down in YPO. They, no, they no longer uh, processed in YPO. But the building was still there, so, you know, you get to be among, you know, things that live in uh, the terror fields, you know, the critters like the fish. We notice all of those things. And our recreation, like, if we work during the day, at night, we'll go out into the river and as part of our outing, to go out in the river and, you know, we gather from the river shrimp and fish and frogs. And I guess it's part of, like, human nature. It's like you depend on those things to survive. I don't know, as you get older, your family put a little bit more on you to be more helpful for the family. It can be, like, hard work and stuff, but we would rather just go out and do the fun things, go into the river, go swim, go fish. When I got older, out of high school, for me, it's not trying to get out of that kind of work. I wanted to go back and do things on my own, farm on my own. You know, I could survive doing stuff like that. But before going into the valley full-time, I worked uh, after high school, I worked for the sugar company, so after high school, never go get higher education and stuff. What I learned from the sugar company was different skills and being around equipment and stuff, so. We go back six generations right now of wetland taro farmers, poi processors in YPO. So dad operated the mule train for our family business back in the day when he was a little boy. That was his responsibility was to bring the taro and the poi and everything up the hill on the mule's back in a mule train. So from then to now, we've evolved from a foot, from a basically an animal trail or a foot trail. And then it's now vehicular access is available. As time go by, you know, more farmers started to get vehicles and less use uh, with the horses and the mules. So, you know, in these years, like so much has changed with, um, like he said, technology, access to things being more modern, convenient. So you sort of like step up and, you know, utilize these things. You learn a lot from the elders, you know, the way they think, the way they, they move. The, a lot of them don't tell you. You have to watch and learn just by watching. I have a question about that, um, Jason, because I've heard so many of the kupuna talk about it's they don't tell us, they show. And that seems to be such a Hawaiian value. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's so, I think in some ways unique, like what you're saying. At one time when I, after I quit the sugar company, I went back down and wanted to do and grow taro full-time. But at that time, I was just about the youngest full-time farmer 
among all these old people. And old people that I work, you know, they're my neighbors and stuff. You learn a little bit from everybody. The different personalities, like even when you work with um, horses and mule, we had like 13, 14 mules that we used to pack, and every mule had a different personality. So I look at it like the different farmers had different personality, but they had some kind of quality in them. If they did something that I didn't agree with, but they wasn't all bad, so I take the good part of the farmer and apply that. And for me, as a terror farmer, I like to work with the land. And being in YPU, it wasn't only like just working with the land. The farmers, certain time of the year, if the, the ocean gets clear during the summertime, you work so much, then you go out into the ocean and you gather from the ocean because ocean can be like seasonal. But the Farmers didn't only farm, they harvested from the river, they plant what they could eat besides taro. And we also harvested from the mountains, we go up on the mountain and hunt and we still listen to the elders talk, talking about hunting and stuff. And then I used to go and hunt with my dad, you know, like I say, he don't really tell you, but they say things, uh, bits and pieces, um, and you kind of remember the things that they how to maneuver up in the mountain, where not to go, where to watch out for, because if you go a certain way, you might end up in trouble. If you go the other way, you're going to end up, you'll be up there stranded. Most of all, was listening to the stories of the, not only in YPO, and in Waimanu. Then when I got married at the, like I found a girlfriend when I was 23, and we got married when I was 25, so I needed a little bit more security. So I went back to the sugar company and worked the land part-time. And when the sugar company shut down, at my age, I thought I was old, but now when I think about it, I wasn't that old. <laughs> I didn't want to go and work for anybody else. So I, I wanted to go back and do terror full time. But we needed to get more crop in the ground. It's, you cannot just go down there and to, uh, next week you're going to be joining income. If you have to start putting more crop in the ground, it's going to take more than two years before you can receive income that you can support your family. So I thought maybe we should uh, process even if we don't have that much in the ground, we can all, always um, purchase from the farmers that is, you know, really established, and we <clears throat> we can get crops from them. It worked out. The business. I look at it as um, you can make poi with a rock and a board, but anything you can improve to make it a little bit more simple, I'm gonna try and apply the things that I've learned from the sugar company because I wasn't around when my grandpa was processing and stuff. So I used a little bit imagination and sort of built my own equipment, being that we never had that much income. But I know once we could get established and le everything is legal, as soon as we process, I know we can draw some income. And we've been doing it for what, about 25 years now. 26 commercial even. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious, like backing up a little bit, if you thinking about when you were younger or being one of the younger farmers, what was the kind of attitude of the other farmers? Were they pretty 
like psyched to see a younger guy like into it or and, and supportive? Yeah, sometimes, like even with our family, sometimes these guys, I have Kahia and my son Kalai, sometimes you don't learn everything from your parents and sometimes your parents can teach you only some, so much. But for me, some things that I've done, I never learned from my dad, but I learned from other people, the elders around, and the elders was always willing to teach, if you ask. If I think at that time I was having things hard, my dad was having it harder. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and if my son thinks he had things hard, no, I had things harder than him. But I don't have that kind of pride to deny my son or my daughter to get advice from anybody else. Like even like traveling, like going to the mainland and for me, I would get lost in Kona uh. <laughs> at the airport. Yeah. And even like for work and stuff, um, computer and stuff, you know, they're up there doing all that technology i mean so you you've been selling the poi for 26 years is that yeah. right and you, before that you were growing it for your family is that did i understand that right before we started doing the poi we were just growing the crop and mm -hmm. selling the crop mm -hmm. then you cannot do everything try to grow the crop and process it at the same time because processing it takes a lot of time now we're just part-time helpers and she oh. <laughs> so now she's the one doing the lead yeah that's amazing yeah is that is that up here um maybe Kahea, you can tell us a little bit about like the operation we've been processing since 1997 i solely took over the family business as ownership in 2015 when dad was still working for the plantation we were operating as just backyard status so whoever needed poi you know we we, we got you but we realized after the plantation was, um, we had been advised that the plantation was gonna shut down, um, you know, and also to touch on that, like like he says, he went in from high school to Sugar Company. When the plantation shut down, dad was the final harvest. So he left the plantation as the harvesting superintendent. As a farmer, like we were raised to be resilient. Yeah, like whatever life throws at you and you always are looking for better and you're always willing to take the risk that we can plant today and tomorrow everything is gone when flood and you have to have that resilience to be able to get back out there and start all over again and he's done it numerous times you know where it's flooding and they're watching our huli that he planted yesterday you know the seed float down the river and wall-to-wall -wall water we basically live our lives on faith that everything is going to work out regardless when the plantation shut down a lot of people you know were distraught about it like what are we going to do but for him because of the life that we've he had he just said oh we're going to start a poi business it's like okay you know so we had to take a little bit of a step back from the farming side so that we could concentrate purely on the poi side he basically built our kitchen from scratch utilizing a lot of his skills that we had from the, he had from the plantation such as his welding and fabrication which was really awesome he planted a seed that was like 
could go in so many different directions. So we process twice a week. We process anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 pounds of poi a week. We've gone back to the valley now and are now trying to get the whole farming side of it back up and running because that's just the full circle. In 2015, 2016, there's too many obstacles that was going on. It came to the point where I could hardly do anything down there because of flooding. I don't know, when I look back at things, to me, if anybody would ask me um, what was the highlight of my life, if I would choose, I would choose the horses and the milk. <laughs> because the surrounding, the people that I used, I grew up with, they were sensible people. Now it's a little bit more challenging. People, like even in YPO, people um, looking for ways to make a plan for YPO. And when I was growing up, there was different nationality of people in South. And I never look at it was a Hawaiian thing because whoever was farming down there, everybody was doing the same thing. And to me, it was all a Hawaiian thing. And it's not about Hawaiian, but why look for something, a plan for YPO, when a plan was already made for us way back all we have to do is follow the plan. So do you miss those, you know, just the families that were there and the people that you knew and those those relationships? Because when you look around, the people was, if I was bending, they was bending too. Yeah. If I was working hard, they was working hard too. Yeah. You know, everybody was facing the same direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if there was obstacles, everybody knows about obstacles and try to figure out how to go over the obstacles. But I think right now is a time where people got to listen and learn and go back and study the, the plan and just follow the plan. Tell me about the plan, Jason. <laughs> We're dying to know because, you know, I'm not from Honoka'a. I'm born and raised in Honolulu, yeah. lived on Maui, moved here five years ago. Yeah, I'd love to know your, like... Wait, can I touch on yeah. that? Hold on, hold on. No, what I, you know, I, I want to go back. Um, you asked earlier about the not talking and having to observe. I grew up with that. Dad grew up with that. And then he raised my brother and I like that. So less talking, more doing. I used to get really upset about it growing up. Like, why doesn't he talk? Why doesn't he just explain? But what I realized is that that generation taught us to have common sense, um, to use our brains, to listen, to observe, because in the world that we live in today, it's such a fast pace or like virtual or all of this, but they were teaching us to be in tune with what's happening and to be observant of what's happening and then to use your common sense and make your best judgment. You're gonna make mistakes along the way, but then how do you how do you fix those mistakes? As a farmer's daughter, I was raised that way and we were raised in a manner that it's not a boy or girl thing. You know, it's like I could do everything that my brother could do or vice versa what needed to be done had to be done yeah when we talk about the plan for YPO the plan for YPO is for people to go back to that way go back to the old school go back to the way of observing and using your common sense like some things you know that saying if it's not broken why fix it Everybody plants the kalo in a different way, perhaps. They run their water sources differently, whatever. But the end result, it's supposed to all come out the same. 
because the plan is to perpetuate kalo, perpetuate our culture. It's not a Hawaiian thing. My great-grandpa, my akun, he farmed two-thirds of the valley. He was pure Chinese from Canton, China, came here, married my grandma, who was pure Hawaiian. It was never a Hawaiian thing. It was a thing from the heart. And it was about looking, observing, learning, taking bits and pieces, like he said, from each farmer, and then making it your own. Seems like... People just seem to be patient, have patience in all of this. I'm just like thinking about planting a crop and having it washed away and getting back to it. You have to have perseverance because you have to be able to see past the negative. We made a ton of mistakes along the way, took a ton of losses, but do you quit? No, you have to just continue. So I have my two kids, my brother has his two kids, and we've instilled it in our children to see that perseverance so that it's not only in farming and in poi, it's in life right yeah totally yeah I love that I so relate to what you're talking about because I think what you're saying observing paying attention it's being in that moment and not being distracted because we have so many distractions now it's too many right and so it's that patience you know as a parent we can all appreciate (laughs) I mean and I know that you guys you know initially it's like talking about Kahlo but then how Kahlo affects our home our family how it has instilled things in us it's not by the scientific okay so you plant this and you do this and you put this much fertilizer and whatever it's taking every single moment that we have to encounter whether it be a negative or a positive and then what did we do about it to get that end result and then we go through 12 months of of cultivating the kalo and at the end and we harvest and it might not be our best crop do we quit no you know so we don't have a book that we follow and say okay this is how we do kalo we just have to keep observing every single thing that is happening and then make it happen i actually can say that now i work side by side with my dad I see what he's doing now and it makes sense before it was just like why is he starting there I said I wanted a lo'i why are we on that side you know and we have this deadline and whatever then I realized I was living in the modern world and I wasn't living in the old school world and now that I'm taking the time to observe what he's doing I'm learning so much more like one day we figured out that the ditch was plugged and we had to pull out 60 feet of piping you know to be able to say that I can still have my dad here to guide and teach even though he's still I'm 46 and he's still not talking to me but it's okay (laughs) I'm still trying to follow now today I kind of found out it's like after 40 something years she's getting it (laughs) it took you guys (laughs) for me my education goes back to the 20s because what my grandpa taught my dad what I watched my dad and the elders before that. Because in Waipio, it wasn't only your parents who punish you. Takes a village to raise a child. The, the elders, you have to learn just like not to offend the elders. Some of the elders is more sensitive than the others. But you have to adjust and learn. If you do something, maybe this elder would overlook it. But this elder it would be offended. If somebody is offended, then you shouldn't. You should stop. I look at it. It's the same thing with hula. Students, the little kids that is learning hula now, it's not 
not learning hula in the 2023. Their learning hula goes way back into the early part of the century. Because if you go down and trace back who's teaching them and who they got the education from and keep going back, it goes way back. So education today is not from 2023. Like for us, we was fortunate to learn from you know people that we learned from who had you know cultural background and if somebody from elsewhere want to learn go and get that education follow that footstep but get the education from way back when and I also love what you're saying because like you talking about that and then in relation to what you have done over your life where you, you had that background and you're down there farming and then you're also so you bring those lessons with you, but then you're also able to innovate. Right. So you're able to learn from your other life experiences and, and do new stuff, but in a way that, you know, builds on all of that. So it's not doesn't mean it's like stuck. It can go forward, but without having that foundation right like you don't need like how do you know where you need to it only applies here in a cultural education like even when i watch different things on tv and stuff farming if you go and look the way people used to farm way before today you know it was educational if you learn different things um the cultural way in respect to other farmers who all over the world, how they farm, and we can help each other. I think it's nothing wrong with modifying what we do. As far as before, we used to mail letters, and now you can send somebody an email so they can get it in a second. The way the world is evolving is it's evolving so quickly that we have to stay centered in our upbringing and in the values, our morals, everything that was instilled in us. Branching off of that as far as for what can we do to keep up with the way the world is moving? Like he said earlier, yes, culturally, it used to be a stone and a, and a board, a poi palm board. Now we utilize a machine. But could I produce the amount of poi that we do right now with a with a stone and a board versus using my machine? I'm still perpetuating my culture. The most important thing is, is I'm providing poi for my people that don't have to wait for me to finish pounding it. We gotta level up. Every month, it seems like I gotta change something because I gotta, I gotta always be looking to be better. You know, well, I mean, you're like at the end of the day, you're doing such a fundamental thing, which is to feed people, and to feed people such a healthy and like profoundly important thing that you know is just not been available and so in my mind and again I you know I'm not a cultural practitioner but just on a practical level it seems like that is like the most basic and like kind of trumps almost anything in my mind of just being able to feed people healthy food that's culturally based when we decided to go down the line of poi and take it beyond just planting and you know cultivating kalo we took on a whole nother level of kuleana, you know, a whole nother responsibility because quality, consistency is key. Making sure that what I produce and provide to our people is what I would provide to my own kupuna, to my own elders. Every week, it's like your kuleana is not done until Saturday is done. Until that last bag of poi gets distributed 
we still got Kuleana. I take it as an honor because to be able to provide a food such as poi to our people, people of all races, all kind of different backgrounds, to hear their stories, to hear how I had this stomach issue going on and I've been eating your poi and now I went back to the doctors and they can't figure out where it's gone. And I believe that's all the love and all the, the nurturing that we put into the product from when it's still in the kitchen. The poi never became a business. It became a cool, our kuleana. We ship out poi to the states. We ship it in our island. Plus, we provide here locally. Because I have the parents that I have, and they raised me with morals, they hold me accountable. The seed that he planted when he built this kitchen, like where we've taken it to now, 26 years later, and it's still going to continue to grow. And my children are a part of it, too. They've never had to go to a sitter or anything like that because they had a mom that was here working in the kitchen. You know, I mean, we might do it different. And that's the disclosure I want to put out there is that we're not a professional poi processor as far as for we do it the right way. We only can do it mukuai piku poi way. We put everything in it. There might be other people out there that's doing it even faster or better or whatever. But you know what? Awesome. Because there's a lot of people out there that needs poi. We don't have enough processors. And then we need farmers. My dad's baby sister is one of our biggest farmers in the valley. Full time. She and her daughters and her husband. And my cousin, one of her daughters, actually helps me to run my kitchen. We touch in so many different ways. And farmers all have that connection with one another. No matter what type of farming we do, we all have to have that resilience. Just on a practical level, Kahea um, or, or Jason, maybe tell our listeners just about making poi. So like from the time you plant the huli all the way to it becoming poi. The kalo that we um, cultivate is a wetland crop. Okay. So from the time that we plant the huli, which is the seed, the stalk, it's anywhere from 12 to 14, 13 to 14 months. We harvest the corm that is growing under the mud. We're going to cut that stock off and that becomes your seed again okay so when we look at our huli we look at our seed we're going generations back like we could be using huli that my grandfathers planted you know and everybody that is planting or harvesting is passing it on to the next farmer like if you know that the next farmer next door is planting and you don't have space for your huli so you pass it on to that farmer I'm one of the younger farmers in the valley, but yet one of the older of the younger. I'm kind of like a bridge. I can still remember the kupuna that have passed on. And I think to myself, like, I wonder if they touch this. You know, yeah, like, or, you know. Totally. I mean, that's where it takes you. So for my farmers, they'll bring it up here. Then we have to steam it. If not, it's like eating fiberglass, right? And then um, the outer skin is taken off. That's brought into the kitchen. We find, clean it one more time with knives, make sure. You know, another thing that we didn't really talk about is all the invasive things that have happened to us over these these years yeah. of generations, yeah. actually. So what dad grew up with years ago, that doesn't exist. Yeah. From flooding to invasive things to disease. So a lot of our farmers are suffering because they're dealing with these things, whether it be the snails that are eating their crop to the blight that is attacking the plant that is causing it to rot. So when the kalo is cooked and brought into the kitchen, we still have to clean it more because 
there's things like pocket rot. So this this rot just appears in the center of the kalo, and the farmer turns it into us thinking it's a nice kalo, and when we cut it open, it's half of it is rotten. That's not the farmer's fault. We we find um, clean it there, then it processes through the machine. We water it down a little bit with water because if not, it's pa'iai, which is just strictly kalo, and it turns like rock if you don't deal with it right away. And then from there, we bag it. So for us, like we do two pound, five pound, 10 pound bags. We've also done cupping for parties. So we pre-cup the poi so that they gotta just pick it up and take it straight to their party. We do poi pops, looks like a go-gurt tube or like a cool pop, and it's just poi. And that's for a quick grab and go. We also do steam kalo. The process is of unknown. It's faith. Because on the processing side, what a lot of people don't realize is what you yield. A farmer can bring you an 80-pound bag of kalo, but that doesn't mean that you're going to get 80 pounds of poi because you have to take your waste out. One factor is that there was a point in that it got so bad that an 80-pound bag of kalo could yield like 35 pounds of poi. The processor side, taking the loss was huge. We didn't have as many losses back then as we do now because of all of the invasive whether it be weeds there's different weeds that came in so like you spend so much time just trying to maintain your lo'i for that 12 14 months you have to because if not the weeds will just smother your your plants and then you're you don't get the full potential all of those things i think are things that people don't see that goes on with farming and it goes on with poi processing the processes back then they're purchasing uh, a bag of 100 pounds of taro, and they were se- uh, selling a bag of poi for, for a dollar. But uh, the farmer was receiving like four or five dollars. It might sound really cheap that, you know, you could go and buy a pound of uh, poi for a dollar. But when you break it down, the processors was making like 15 times more than the, what the far, what they pay the farmers. I guess it's a business. You try to pay the least you can. Some of them don't really care about how, how much the farmers work. They just care about what they can get from a bag of uh, taro, what they're going to make. So, and in a way... The farmers back there did not have the obstacles that we have today. Right now, today, there's a really bad balance with the culture and with growing our taro. That's why I would like this generation to make a study and document all the invasive things and all the things that the farmers go through and put it out there to everybody so that everybody knows what the farmers go through, going through. And the people that we lease the, the lands from is looking more for themselves as a business. And it goes down the line and line. That's why I, I feel by documenting all these obstacles then everybody can see uh, you know you have people politicians and people that we lease land from we lease from bishop museum and to me now is the time to ask them after you get all this information all documented now it's time for me to go and ask them if you're gonna talk the talk about preserving the culture they do the walk how did 
so when you, you know, you move from farming and you shift into processing yourself, like how did that perspective of understanding the work that went into it and the kind of, you know, the lack of respect maybe for the work, how did that affect the way that you did business? Well, processing for me is like a 17 hour day. The only farmer's market that we do now is that's in Kohala. And it's not really a farmer's market because she and I, we're alone. And the community uh, sort of like reserved that spot for us. So you get this special line of people coming. <laughs> That's the spot. Oh. In 97, I sold down here one day, came home with poi. He oh. says, what are we going to do with this poi? I said, we're going to Kohala. Oh. So we went to Kohala and we parked there because we asked some people in the community mm-hmm. and they said, oh, yeah, park right there because they come store, they go post office oh. and whatever. Went to the post office. I got a poster board and I put poi on it and I hung it on my truck mirror. And then the first day we sold 13 bags. We had a oh. whole cooler. We oh. sold 13 Oh. We gave all the rest away. Here, Uncle, yeah. take this. Go give to your neighbors and yeah. whatever. Go share and whatever. And that was the starting of selling poi. And every week oh. we would go, there would be more people and more people and more people. Oh, my gosh. So you have your people who are like, we got to get there to make sure <laughs> we, have, we get ours. And now we're at the stage that some of our first customers back when they get to a certain age then it's our turn to give back to them so they come or their families bring them we give them their poi we wish them a blessed weekend and they go it's it's awesome for for me when customers get to a certain age it's pretty hard to receive money yeah i bet i bet you're like no no Uncle, this is <laughs> your bag, you know? <laughs> yeah. For me, you know, people can put money in the bank and save mm-hmm. it. But when you do something like that, it's almost like putting something in a bank or oh, yeah. the, the man above is watching. Yeah. And yeah. that is like a savings. Instead of putting money into some place, it's a goodness that we can do and... I think uh, something like that, he would approve. And, you know, it's something something like when you work in YPO. You know, if you're going to try and prove something, improve, uh, always get in the back of your mind. Even if the people is not here, you got to question yourself. If they was here, would they approve of what you're doing? What you asked earlier, too, like about how it was transitioning. I think more people should do that. Like more people should experience what it's like to be a farmer and to be a processor because you have more compassion. So when we're, say, in the kitchen cleaning the kalo and it's not its greatest, but you have compassion because you know what that farmer went through for all of that year, you know, and it gives you a better understanding. I think it makes you to step your game up because you have to be prepared for those times because honestly like going from farmers and then deciding to be a processor it was like a whole different type of a um, business mindset that you had to have and even now because now times have changed things are more expensive i mean whatever it might be we um, have to learn to be a little bit more creative 
without taking the dignity away from our farmers. And that's one thing that we strive to do in our kitchen. Like, we'll never return somebody's product or anything like that. You know, we always just say, this is the faith. We don't know what we're going to get when we open up these bags. And sometimes you even open up the bags, you still don't know. So you actually cook it and you still don't know. So you actually cut it open and you're like, oh my God, this is what we have. Okay, we're going to be okay though, you know. And it's like you learn to just be really creative and compassion, you know. And the world is lacking compassion. Everybody puts so much judgment on the next person right away and assume that that person deliberately tried to do something. But if you farmed and you know the challenges that they're facing down there I think that you have such a better outlook on things and then if you have a dad like the dad I have who always sees the glass half full um, and that's probably why he's been so successful in his life not meaning monetarily but like how he looks at things like if I give away a free bag of poi that's putting money in the bank that really counts and he told me that years ago Um, he told me you know sometimes it's not the money that's going in the bank that counts it's the money that's going in the bank that nobody sees you know and that's kind of always stuck with me and then when we were able to get to finally to that point in the business where we were able to bless people like okay uncle you've did your time now you come and you pick up your bag of poi you know and and they don't want to because they're like girl no you know this is your business and we have to fight the first couple times but once we get past that then we build that respect and they look at us differently and then we have our customers that have been with us forever and we find out that they're ill and we're like you know auntie every week you guys come and so whether it's her or whether it's her family somebody come and pick up for her and that's our again our honor to be able to do that because that's the joy of owning your own situation if you're moved at that moment to give we can give you know funerals we can give yeah so we grew up like that like the whole like I was saying, like sharing the seed. That wasn't have to be asked. Like that was just like, you know when to give. I think that's what's so special about what I'm learning. You know, we, we did a series of interviews about oh, Molokai, you know, with folks over there. Yes. And it was just amazing. And then my PO2 is like that connection with the land has not been severed. That like relationship, you know, from the your... The huli. And so like, and the values and the compassion, all of the emotion, all of the love all of the aloha truly like from one generation to another is passed on and it's not in like in some communities I'm seeing they're just struggling to figure out who they are what they are where they're coming from how how to be on the land it's totally like alien right in so many places (laughs) and it seems like it's not in your in your place right and it wasn't always rainbows and unicorns growing up no that but it's a real relationship though ups and downs if you grew up as a farmer's daughter i grew up being very excluded because you you farm in mud you go in the mud every weekend you know um we had more no's than yeses growing up because we couldn't go cruise it was like we had we had responsibility and the kalo's not going to take care of itself it didn't ask to be in the ground so we got to go and you know take care of it so from a young age we were taught responsibility we were taught 
commitment. We were taught all of that. And those are all the fundamentals to life that I think is lacking. When you guys were going to come here to interviews, I'm like, what am I going to talk about? So I was like, I'm going to let dad do all the talking, you know. But in actuality, how does Kahlo really affect us? Kahlo affects us by who we are. It started from when I was a little girl, when I got all the no's. It was from being different from the rest of the kids. It was doing something totally out of the norm, you know, because not too many people spend their weekend in mud to your knees or deeper. Yeah, we tease our parents, you know, like we tease them all the time, like, oh, the life you gave us. But the life that they gave me is the same life that I want to give my kids. YPO has been their rock. It's been their place of solitude. It has been their place for them to find themselves. They're still finding themselves. They're learning who they are. It's raising my daughter to to know that it's okay to be different. You don't have to be like everybody else. And it's okay to work hard for the things that you really want because farming is hard work. It's not gonna come easy. The Kahlo is not gonna just appear on our doorstep. Like we have to work hard. I'm raising them the same way. They are getting a lot of no's. There are a lot of things that they wanna do and sorry we can't because we have to go to YPO, you know? And I remember that feeling of being like, my parents are so unfair, (laughs) but at 46, I can appreciate that. <laughs> Everything centered around YPO. You know, he, he, well, he worked at the plantation, so we only had one vehicle. It's not, it's not like now. Yeah. Every family has three, four cars. <laughs> Every time they go into something else, they get another vehicle. But um, so a lot of times the kids and I were without a vehicle. And we, we want to go to Waipio because there's things to do and we want to plant trees and all of this, yeah? So my son, being the little man, because he was the youngest, he would say if it's okay to go. And sometimes we would walk from the house, go to the lookout. He says, Mom, not a good day today. The river and whatever. Okay, we turn around, we come home, we try the next day again. And he would grumble going down. We're the only ones that carry trees. Yeah, Kaya and I are the only ones that carry trees down. I says, Clyde, you need to shut your mouth. I said, because I hope I will be around to see one day it might be your kids eating off of these trees. And I'm going to remind you of that because you're grumbling about it. We would do it, you know, because things have to be done and we don't have a truck, so we would go down, and he says, oh, we have to pull 15 bags or whatever. We pull the 15 bags, leave it there, then the truck comes later, load it up, and come up the hill. You know, but it all used to work out, yeah? I was a total transplant. I had nothing to do with YPO, and at that time, I didn't want anything to do with YPO, because it just didn't fit in with what I was doing. Yeah, I went to beauty school, and I was a beautician, and my nails and my feet. (laughs) I said, oh, I can't do this, you know, but yeah, I got transplanted very well, and I chopped up my license, you know, and I said, I'm not going to be a beautician no more. That is so bad for me to be breathing all of that. It's been an awesome life and, you know, we're blessed that the two kids, she and her brother, you know, my son has chosen to have his own little construction thing. But really, when you think about it, where did it start? In YPO. When the dad would say, oh, we're going to 
so-and-so's place, you take the D4, I'm going to come with the fuel. And I would look the other way because, you know, he has to go through gates and fences and, and the people weren't that happy to see this little guy coming with this big piece of equipment, you know. And now he has his own business along with another construction job. So it's good. And Kahea, right next door. So <laughs> she took over. It's, it's very simple. You know, if you stay on top of it. I lived there 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So I stood on my porch and I watched things drown, but I stood along with him. His positiveness, you know, like I'm looking, everything is drowning, you know, lawnmowers, everything. And I said, oh my goodness, it's drowning. You know, water up to here. And he said, that's okay, he said as long as we're here tomorrow to continue all over again. And, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty powerful place. It's really powerful and it's super simple. And if you can't hold the two, yeah. then you haven't been in YPO. Yeah, I love that it, it is just so simple. It, it is, is simple. That relationship, which is like a which it has its ups and downs like any real relationship yeah. right and like if you have a relationship and if you're paying attention it will tell you what yeah. the place needs and and how how to be right it's the plan, it's the plan melissa <laughs> remember it's the plan simplicity is the plan take it back to yeah that. even uh, when yeah. we lived there you know the just the way the river would act and stuff. And I'd say, oh, boy, they should stop the arguments and this and that. There's going to be a flood coming, and sure enough, you know. But Waipio changed my life, and I love it. How many times he wanted to drown me, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Flood wasn't big enough. No, you cannot go ahead uh, if you don't have support from your partner. And I'm glad that we're involved in in this situation. It don't only go back to my grandpa, like with growing tarot and stuff. It goes back to when the first Polynesians came to Hawaii. They brought the, the plant. Until now, there is varieties that they brought that we still continuing the same way. We're not growing a taro out of a little seed. We planted the taro with a stalk. And that's the way we learned from there way back when. Mm-hmm. So it's been a part, and I think it's a good part uh, in keeping it going and passing that on to the next generation. I, ho- I hope they can continue. And- yeah, I hope I can continue to keep um, observing <laughs> and trying to read the signs and trying to follow and find my way. Well, what I love is that you have the stoic, amazing dad who does not speak. And we have the, you know, like I can relate. <laughs> we have the, the, the talking daughter, the one who is, you know, and you're just you're so different, but complement each other so beautifully. It's pretty amazing. My job is to make sure he yeah. has a voice. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure that he is understood and he has a voice. You guys are all like chiming in as far as how this place is just kind of the center, right? And grounding. I don't know if this is the end of it, but like to think about what you guys want like for your kids I mean I know you can't you would never maybe have expected your daughter to be doing what she's doing I don't know if you did but how you think that this this does go on and where you think you know your kids maybe might be doing this and growing up with it I, I can't imagine just hearing all of you speak I think because he and I we never put the business together based on 
you know, like a lot of people, or oh, Mark II, Mark II. It wasn't a thing that our son had to run it, uh, and he chose to do something else, and it's fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because as a mother, my daughter was never less than her brother. She could do everything he could do. Having her pick up when it wasn't the best time to pick it up, she did, and she took it mounds, yeah. yeah? You know, she brought it to where it is, and it's okay. Everybody just continue doing, because no matter what they're doing, we're all doing for the same purpose, yeah? yeah? And as a parent, that's how I feel. I don't have to have one certain child doing this and one doing that. Because when I look at her, that's how I was years ago, you know? Oh, I'd get involved in anything, you know? And it's okay. Though my parents thought I was weird, but it was all right. I kept doing it, yeah? And it's the same thing with my son. Again, it's just simplicity. You know, and being open. When I started to really become more hands-on, I think that a lot of the change was scary. Like, it was scary for them because they couldn't envision, like, how were we going to do it or how it was going to happen. But once they started to see it, then a lot of it became reality. And then it became, the possibilities were endless, you know. I was blessed because I had parents that are um, supportive in like like what mom said like you know as far as for what my brother decided to do he decided to take his skills that he learned in our raise in our upbringing and then he chose to implement it into his own business and then you know things that my dad um, was instilled in him from the plantation you know hamako sugar company like he instilled that into building our poi kitchen and continues to do so being raised as a farmer's daughter, like they taught me to persevere. They taught me that there's no such thing as he, he raised me as there's no such thing as cannot. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I wanted to quit many times in my life. And he told me there's no such thing as cannot. So that has been like pounded into my brain from being a little girl. But as far as for like the future, like where I see things, I see it continuing to evolve. I see it getting better. One of the most important things is finding the right partner. Because anybody can say that they want to be a farmer. Everybody wants to be a part of Waikio. Yeah. But to really be down yeah. there and make the sacrifices and have the understanding and be that support that you need to be. So for Bubba, he actually farms down there as well. You know, when I'm at my low, he pu he pumps me up. You know, when he needs support, I try to be there. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not as much as he is. But that's what I want for my kids. You know, and they have their papa, like, showing them those examples. He does the same way with them. He doesn't talk. <laughs> my daughter is me, so she's the one that gets him to talk. But, you know, he, he still does, and they have to kind of, like, figure it out. It's okay. Because it took me a long time to learn why he did that. The one important thing is is finding that person that can can dream the dream with them. Because to me, like YPO, the poi, the dreams are endless. If you have um, resistance all the time, it just yeah, kills your fight. Yeah, like, then you don't yeah. want to do it. You know, we have enough 
of things that, like I said, you know, um, yeah. invasive and all of that that yeah. we're dealing with. We don't need to deal with the negativity too. Yeah. Right. The job is hard enough. You need to be all paddling in the same direction on the canoe. <laughs> yes. And as my dad keeps saying, if our generation can all face in one direction and all have our eyes at the same end result, we will we'll have success. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, true. Gosh, we've covered so much. Everything from like your upbringing, how you got involved in the business, like being a producer and um you know, farmer and then, you know, on the production side and then gosh, like the YPO itself, which is like just it's really really defies words and description. For both of you, if you have any other anything else that you'd like to say or any thoughts you wanna leave maybe maybe people who want to get in touch with the land, maybe they don't know anything about Kalo farming, maybe they have an interest or maybe they really love it but but it's hard, you know? Like, what advice would you give? For me, uh, YPO is a place where a lot of people like to be involved in some just like to go to YPO because they feel it's a place where they can do different things, uh, recreational things, and there's people who go down to practice their protocols and I give back to YPO. Maybe they're not in the same uh, cultural situation, but the, the cultural part, you know, they're included into something like that. And I think we have to find a balance of how the valley should be viewed as and respected. And it can also be a give back to YPO, the community, and perhaps the economy of the island. And like I say, politicians and landowners, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, then you should walk the walk. And sometimes that's the hard part. If you put all your eggs in one basket and waiting for a politician to do it for you. My kids have gone to meetings from when I carried them in my stomach and I had politicians rub my stomach. What, we're not a terror farmer, or you know that. Another one is gonna come, same thing, you know, but it has to start with yourself. And I think the, the way our family does it, you know, it's, it's pleasing to my heart, you know, because I see it working. It is my reward, you know, and my grandkids, I don't expect any of them to live their whole life here. I encourage them to go. But I always remind them that home will always be home, you know? And yeah, YPU taught me to cry about everything. It's, it's an awesome place, but it takes a lot of work. And above all, it takes a lot of love. You gotta love it. And for me, I wish people would stop trying to make YPO right. There's nothing wrong with YPO. It's just people have to come together and individually have the same focus. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. In closing, like you asked what advice I would give to somebody wanting to do it. My advice is it's just simplicity. Don't get caught up in the expectations of society and just take it back to simplicity. When things get rough or get hard, tomorrow's a new day and get back out there and try again. Um, I think we put a lot of pressures on ourselves in today's world because of 
what we think that society expects of us. I don't think that there is a definition of what a true farmer really is. It's just someone that loves what they're doing and wants to see it grow and wants to see it prosper just like how we want our children to you know so that's why even when we're in the lo'i and you're bending over all day long whether it's weeding harvesting we're really doing it because we love what we're doing because who wants to bend over in mud all day long you know we do yeah yeah we do and you know when we have to fix our waterways or whatever it might be why do we do it because that's just like how we feed our children like they need that i went through my time in my life where I tried to be what I thought society wanted me to be. I've worked in the corporate world. My dad would always tell me in times when I got lost along the way, I needed to get back to my roots. I gave up trying to please society, trying to be that defined definition of what a farmer is, what a Hawaiian is. I don't speak Ololo Hawaii, just FYI. And I'm fine with that. Because Hawaiian is not defined by our dialect that we speak. Hawaiian is defined by what we do. And it goes back to what my dad said, putting it in the bank that really counts. It's by doing those good things. It's by building the aloha. It's by all of that stuff. That's what defines me as a farmer. Disclosure. I'm not a professional farmer. Like, I'm not a professional poi processor. I only do it mokuai way. So... I only can be the best Mokuai farmer that I can be. Farming is what I do, and that's nurturing. Oh, that's, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. As you said, simple, simple right? Simple, <laughs> and that's the plan. And that's the plan. Well, I couldn't think of cl- the closing on a more, like, wonderful Wonderful note. Thank you so much, Kahea. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, thank you so much, Mom. This has like, been a wonderful um, collection of stories, perspectives, so much better in person than trying to do it, you know remotely don't you think clay <laughs> yeah no just thank you guys for bringing us into the into your space and your home i mean it's really been wonderful thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to have a voice i hope that it inspires it inspires someone you know that is out there maybe teeter-tottering about what how they want to go about and do it thank you so much for sharing it was really really special mm-hmm.